2: Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Alright, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Uh, Mark Levesay is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Steph Lane, and uh, Steph, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit?
3: Yeah. Hello, I am Steph Lane, uh, born and raised in in Eastern Iowa. I am a podcast host myself uh, with Woods and Waters Project, and I am a farmer, and I'm the Iowa Program Coordinator for Outdoor Mentors and so many other things, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs)
2: No, it's cool. <laughs> Good to have you finally uh have you or our schedules aligned and able to to get together and talk again and uh lots to talk about. So how let's let's start with the whole podcast thing. How did that come about? What made you want to do it and then, you know, like how did it turn into a lifestyle? Yeah. Um
3: Oh my gosh. I'm sure it's like <laughs> much deeper deeper than I'll even get into here because I could talk about it for, for forever, but I'm about two years in with the podcast. I focus on interviewing just different outdoorsmen, men and women from across the country and get their story and their perspectives. I have been an outdoorsman my entire life, but I feel like I've never fit in with one hub of outdoorsmen. And what I mean by that is I was kind of raised in this deer hunting, turkey hunting, Masio camouflage wearing, kind of, you know, redneck stereotype lifestyle, which I love. I live for that. I love that. But I also have always been really into hiking, um, plant identification, bird ID, foraging, uh, kind of more of like just being at peace with nature. I feel like I'm both kind of like <laughs> this hippie hunter. And, you know, there's sometimes those are categorized so differently sometimes. And I just felt like I was both, but I felt like those groups really didn't intertwine. And I just thought that was crazy because I think as an outdoorsman, whether you're a hunter, an angler, a hiker, whatever, to the core, we want and do some of those things for the same reason. Like as humans, like we are meant to spend time outside. That's that's That is how we are here. That's how we're made. And so I wanted this place where people who you wouldn't think would maybe even be friends. Once you get digging into their stories and hear them, just how similar we all are, how unique, but also how similar and just what the outdoors means to them. Because I think for most people, it's more than just like going to shoot something or picking flowers. Like it's not that it's much deeper than that. And um, you know, back then, I was a lot quieter. I was not nearly as confident in my voice and what I had to say. Um, I worked for a radio station at the time, and I was kind of on my way out of the radio station, but before I left, one of our stations that we had under like our umbrella was an ESPN sports station. And I used to tease the guys like, hey, you don't have any females on this. And they're like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, well, sports related. All I could really talk about was, is probably hunting. And on their whiteboard, I wrote from the stand with Steph as just a joke, right? Well, the CEO saw it and she approached me and told me, she's like, I actually like the idea. If you want a few minutes a week to talk about whatever you want related to hunting in the outdoors, it's all you. So she gave me, um, like time with the creative director Who helped me learn how to say, like, for example, I had to work a lot on saying hunting instead of hunting. I can't even say (laughs) it now because I had to like work on it so much. Um, They gave me a few minutes every week. It was really fun. And I knew when I left the radio, I'm like, gosh, I don't want that to stop. And so I'm like, I can start a podcast. I can do that on my own and putting that all together. And now I'm here two years later doing a podcast.
2: Awesome. No, that's pretty cool. I, I never knew that. So it's kind of interesting to hear that story like that and how it's, you know, how it all tied in together. Because I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever heard that. Um, yeah. So you started doing that. I know last time you and I talked, you were going to guide school. And uh, uh-huh. how did that go? And like, what's your plans with that?
3: Yeah. Um. You know, I. <laughs> I am obsessed with like learning and getting better as a woodsman um, overall. And so, you know, part of that was because at the end of the day, most guides, like most hunting guides didn't go to a formal school like that. That isn't necessarily the route to become a hunting guide. Um, Now, it absolutely adds something to the resume and adds something to your experience that most guides won't have. Um, I didn't really know in my head. I definitely plan on guiding on the side. I have a bird dog. Um, I help my boyfriend with the snow goose migration. He's been a guide for 11 years, uh, a snow goose guide for 11 years. I have mentored and helped guide multiple pheasant hunts. I love turkey hunting, um, waterfowl. I mean, all of it. So I definitely want to guide, but ever since I was a little girl, You know, I grew, I grew up hunting, but I was the only female in my family. And as much as I was included in everything, the idea of me becoming a guide or a teacher or like a professional hunter was super downplayed. Um, I, you know, honestly, because I'm a female and it, it wasn't meant with, I think, any disrespect. It just kind of wasn't heard of. And we didn't really see a lot of it. And I sure as heck didn't know very many women that hunted. Um, but I was always very driven to prove people wrong. I mean, if you tell me I can't do something, (laughs) I'm probably, (laughs) I'm probably going to do it. Uh, And especially coming from, you know, my family who loves me, thinks I'm great. They just really didn't think that was probably a good option. So fast forward, I'm 30 years old. I have been looking up guide schools for the last couple of years most of the guide schools I would find were western guide schools which were really awesome but they're super expensive and it's a lot of really cool skills like horse packing and things like that in the mountains which I I would love to learn right like that would be so cool but I'm from Iowa and I plan on staying here and being here for the long haul so I wanted to find a guide school that was in the Midwest. Sorry, my dog has the zooms and I don't know how loud that is. He is like rampaging in my house. It's all good. <laughs> like, here he comes. He's gonna. Yeah. Um, so uh, so the reason I'm talking about being 30 years old, my birth- my 30th birthday was July 19th and I found this guide school in South Dakota. So a Midwest guide school that focused on upland hunting, waterfowl, snow goose, and deer hunting, and then also dog training. And I'm like, okay, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And the first day of the guide school was on July 19th, my 30th birthday. So as a gift to myself, I put myself in a guide school and, um, it was an awesome experience. It helped me with a lot of my confidence because it helped me realize not so much honestly, I was kind of surprised by this, but not so much the areas that I didn't know or I'm not great at, but actually really showed me like how much I do know and how much I've downplayed myself um, We did real life scenarios of you know picking the tree stand, uh calling the shots on birds um, picking picking the spot waterfowl hunting, putting decoy spreads out for snow goose. Uh, you know, it was very hands-on. We did clients, uh, walking them through fields and like just things people do, right. Not pointing their gun up, not having their gun on safety questions they ask. I mean, they played the part. It was role-playing the entire week. So it was just really cool. Um, I got an opportunity to work with that guide service after, and, uh, you know, at the time I couldn't just take that, uh, but it just built my confidence up a lot. And I mean, really, the connection I made from the people I was in class with and what I learned from them, um, the things I learned that I didn't know, I mean, it was worth every penny and it was worth all my time. Whether I use that as like my next step into guiding or not, uh, I just loved every second of it. It was awesome.
2: Oh, no, that's cool. I mean, <clears throat> especially if you ever did want to actually guide or even even just as being a mentor, being able to know that you're taking the proper precautions and and doing things to ensure the safety of others that you might not normally think of um, because you haven't encountered those. Whereas, you know, experienced guides have probably seen just about anything and everything that possibly could happen out there in the field Um, to be able to know that that's, that's a good experience, which also ties into your full-time job which actually is a coordinator for, so you can go ahead and finish that for me and kind of talk about that. Cause that's pretty yeah. cool.
3: So um, as of September, I became the Iowa program coordinator for a nonprofit called Outdoor Mentors, Pass It On Outdoor Mentors. We're based out of Wichita, Kansas. I'm the actual first Iowa employee. Uh, we've been around in some capacity for, I believe like 20 years. And we just expanded into Iowa. Our focus is getting youth and shooting sport athletes out hunting. Um, so I coordinate all of that. So I'm finding the hunters, the land and the mentors and making all of that happen. I have the entire state of Iowa. Like I said, I just started in September. So we're building this, building the relationships. Um, it's a contract in partnership with the Iowa DNR. So we're fully supported by them. Uh, and, and it's Awesome. Uh, Our focus, too, sometimes when people hear that our focus is on shooting sport athletes, that can either get them excited or be like, well, why not all youth? And it is all youth. Uh, You know, anyone who wants to join who's Hunter certified is more than welcome. We want that. But kind of the idea behind the shooting sport focus is uh, people might not know this, but when you're talking about trap shooting, like trap shooting athletes, Iowa makes up 23 percent of trap shooting athletes in the country. So interesting. I just think that, yeah, there's a ton of them in the state of Iowa, uh, in can in Kansas, there's about 1700, uh, trap shooting athletes, both high school and collegiate in the state of Kansas. And we're just shy of 300 hunts a year in the state for those athletes and kids. Um, in Iowa, we have just shy of 4,200 athletes. And, mm-hmm. um, so the opportunity to get all these kids out hunting is exciting. You know, they have They have experience with a firearm, 70% of them are hunters, um, ed certified because it's part of their, um, safety to become a trap shooting athlete. So they don't necessarily hunt, but they have the certification to take that next step. So they're certified, they're safe. Now they just need someone to take them hunting, right? So we can focus in on our group like that, that barrier is kind of out of the way, but now we can get them out and we can get them out on multiple species.
2: So what kind of species are you guys targeting for these kids then? I mean, is it mostly upland or is it uh, like uh deer and waterfall or what's kind of the game plan there?
3: Yeah. Um, so we have goals for each type of, each type of hunting. Um, you know, one of the things that is a little tricky to manage is since we're based out of Kansas, you know, and as we expand into other States, because that's ultimately the plan um, as you know, as any hunter who has ever hunted out of state knows the laws, regulations, seasons, all those things are different from state to state. And it kind of can like throw you off. Like you think you have it understood. And then, you know, you're like, Nope, I don't. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of learning as we go here, but just so far since September, we've gotten, um, about hundred kids out hunting since the end of September, uh, in the state of Iowa. And we've done pheasant hunts a couple deer hunts. We've done raccoon, squirrel, rabbit, um, goose, duck. And I think that's it so far. And now I'm starting to plan for the spring turkey season.
2: So when these kids are doing this, uh, like the whitetail hunts, are they doing like a youth hunt and is it a firearm or are you doing some archery
1: as well?
3: So, so right now, um there's like a lot of layers to that so so right now um we were focusing on the shotgun muzzleloader seasons in Iowa so like in Kansas they have a rifle season we don't have that in Iowa right um and in Iowa you also do a lot of like party hunting like pushing we don't necessarily want to do that with new hunters um so It's more of like an individual, there's a mentor, the new hunter and a guardian, and they're going out and, um, shotgun hunting for deer right now or muzzle loader archery. Um, you know, I, I coach archery. Archery is like near and dear to my heart. That is, um, a big interest of mine to help us expand into that. The layer with archery that you have though, is just As, you know, a lot of folks probably understand, target shooting with a bow is a lot different than going hunting with a bow. Um, You know, trap shooting, it's not the same as hunting necessarily, but you are able to transition that gun much easier, like in a matter of a couple days into hunting, where archery, it's not that simple, right? Like if you're not already an archery hunter, you can't just take your bow and um, go hunting the next day. So, there's some things there that we'd have to kind of work through, I think, to do some archery hunts, which I would be really passionate about doing. I've helped teach bow hunting to many people um but there's just a lot of layers there, especially for one person to to do by themselves. so
2: sounds like you need a team <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: yeah, <laughs> we will be hiring more in Iowa in the very near future,
2: so that's cool so um yeah. let's let's kind of break that down then um, as far as like The gun hunting, are you guys doing youth seasons only for like the deer hunting or are you kind of letting them hunt throughout the regular deer season? I don't know how Iowa works exactly if it's like a week-long season. Like I know in Illinois, it's like three days and then four days. So it's a little bit different than you guys, I think.
3: Yeah. Um, So when I say youth and like shooting sport athletes, so our hunters are anywhere from the age of 11 to about 22, 23 years old. Because they are in high school or they're in they're usually part of a trap team, so to be part of a trap team, you have to be like middle school age to college age um and hunter certified. So in the state of Iowa you have to be about eleven years old uh, to be hunter certified. So our hunters are going to be from eleven to again like early twenties when you're graduating college. Um, so if they fall in the youth category of under sixteen years old, we will try to do a youth hunt um specifically. But um typically, I mean it's youth. It's like the youth of like America, right? But it's not youth in the sense of like the season, if that, right. makes, yeah. no, makes, sense. that makes
2: sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. That makes sense. So then um when you guys are doing the land, like is there some type of agreement you have to come to with the landowner is it all private land that you guys are utilizing mm-hmm. or is there like some public that that's involved with that?
3: Yeah. So it's it's everything. I mean we're we utilize public land a lot. Um there's a lot of reasons behind that because I mean you know, I'm sure i'm I'm talking to like how the choir preaching to the choir, uh you know publicly challenged, but we do a lot of focus on public land um if we can and it makes sense, and we can put the kids in a safe you know scenario, right um because it just like that's what's available. and if you want kids to keep going, adults anybody to keep going hunting. Put them in real life scenarios where they can go back, right? But also we're utilizing private land. We partner with a bunch of preserves. I mean currently, to get that many kids out hunting every year, um, you kind of have to lean on preserves where you can, and we're really grateful for them. Like we just had we have a hunt coming up in March, a uh, pheasant hunt, and we just had a bunch in February, and they filled up and they were, and they were great. So um, we also partner with groups like Iowa Heritage Foundation. Uh, Neil Smith Wildlife Refuge, where it's a part of like special access, so it's not necessarily private, uh, but you have to kind of get permission ahead of time uh, to utilize for use, you know, in different hunting events. So it's all over the place, man. It just depends on the area. Uh, We're trying to go where the kids are, where the athletes are, and they are scattered across the state of Iowa. So wherever we can get our hands on and people are nice enough to let us use, that's what we're going to do. So it's, it's everything.
2: Now, that's pretty cool. So if somebody did want to, you know, open up their land or something like that, how would they go about that so they could actually let someone. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, they could just contact me, uh, contact outdoor mentors. And we, we are insured, uh, something that I think helps ease the mind of a private landowner is if, you know, someone got hurt on their property, they are not going to be responsible for that like our insurance covers that i know sometimes that's like a worry so just understanding that our hunters and mentors are going to be registered through us um through our program before going on the land so they're protected that way both the landowner and um, the individuals hunting and it's just allowing us access it's not anything crazy it's just kind of giving us the verbal permission um and yeah it's it's pretty easy from there and then just I communicate with them as much as they want me to or need to. um, So they know what to expect, who's going to be there, what time. And we do ask all the hunters to send thank yous to landowners and the mentors after. I hope most of them do, but we ask them to send thank yous, you know, because I think that's, I think that's a big deal. I think
2: that is too. I mean, that's something, uh, you know, when I get a handwritten note, even with a product I buy or something, if it's handwritten, I mean, it shows that there's, somebody there that actually cares it's not just like hey let's ship this out let's get it over with a handwritten note speaks volumes to a person's actual personality and the respect that they have for people that either you know are utilizing something that somebody else has or you know purchasing from somebody so that's pretty cool it's it's nice that you guys do that because it does show that you know these kids are respectful and they do want to learn and and want to continue to have that relationship so that's that's pretty neat but so I got to ask you like what I've never really worked with youth other than my own kids pretty much, or like my nephews and stuff, but like, what's some of the most rewarding experiences that you've had? Do you have anything that like speaks out to you and you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is the best uh, scenario I could possibly think of that, you know, happened to me.
3: Yeah. um, I've been a part of a lot of the hunts and mentored multiple of them. Um, One of the hardest parts of my job for me is, you know, I'm the only person in Iowa doing this. So um I don't get to go to every hunt because there's no possible way I could right sometimes we have multiple hunts going on in a day across the state but the ones I've been a part of and then the stories I hear it's just like there's so many good things um one the hunts that I'm not even a part of like when a mom or dad reaches out to me um and sends me pictures and is telling me like how grateful they are that their kid got to do this you know because sometimes mom and dad don't hunt um and they're learning a lot too. So they ask a lot of questions and, um, that is really rewarding for me. Like when they call and I just help ease their mind and then they get their kid on like their first or second hunt. Um, and then they send me pictures like, oh my gosh, uh, that's, that's like one of my favorite parts of my job. Uh, just the photos I get and I get photos from people who go hunting outside of our program just to show me what they got. Like, that's such a cool feeling but the one-on-one experiences, like one of my favorite hunts, um, it was negative 13 here (laughs) in January and everything's frozen, obviously. Geese are not flying, but we had this goose hunt planned and we got down to three kids that were registered and we kind and I was kind of like, You know, I was helping mentor this hunt too. So I'm like, I don't know if I want to sit through this, you know? Um, I was kind of nicely pushing them, like, I want you guys to be warm and safe because it was going to be brutally cold. Like like it almost was borderline. No one should be out hunting. But we had, it's just the way it all came together. Um, I had multiple friends and family friends do some scouting for me and for my boyfriend and some friends of ours to help mentor this hunt. And they're like, you know what? The geese are coming in the spot at three o'clock. Like they're going to be there. You know, it's, you're gonna have to sit most of the day, but they're gonna be there. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, skis flying. This is gonna be great. It's gonna be really miserable and cold, but it'll be, it'll work out. So we had kids come from. We had two of the three come from like an hour and a half away to come to this goose hunt, and then one of the kids that was more local, uh, his dad dropped him off, and his dad used to be a like a longtime hunter. He used to hunt out in Canada and all this stuff, and you know, now his boy, who's part of this hunt is just getting really, he's just like obsessively getting into all of this. Like he loves goose hunting, wants to buy like his own trailer full of like decoys, <laughs> his own spread, you know, and he's just hyped up. This kid is just so passionate. You can like, I mean, he just never stopped talking about it. It was awesome. Well, we set up the decoy spread, the, um, the blinds and everything. And we were, we, we were set up before noon, and we were like, you know what, let's all like go to lunch. Let's not sit through these blinds too long. So we took them all to McDonald's and we all like sat and like just chatted and got to know each other. Um, and then the kiddo, the single kid whose dad dropped him off, uh, happened to come by McDonald's too. And we're like, come eat with us, you know, and he comes and eats with us. And then we had enough spare clothes that we invited the dad to join the hunt with us. And we had one more spot in the line. We're like, just come hunt with us. Like you're an experienced hunter it'd be cool to have you too you know just be here and um so he got to do that with his son and like with us and like get to know him and um he has now offered to like officially mentor more hunts going forward his son has joined us on three different hunts uh so he's goose hunted pheasant hunted um and then he went pheasant hunting again but he convinced two of his friends to come so he then recruited two more kids to come hunting with us and just like The whole, the whole experience of being able to be there with like a father and son hunting together, um, building these relationships with them. You know, he's one of the dads that sends me photos, like outside of our hunting programs. Now he wants to be a mentor. Um, his son is recruiting people to go hunting. Like that is so cool. Like that is so cool to me and shows that like, you know, one hunt can make a difference, it doesn't always, but it can and um I don't know it just it, it it's it's awesome <laughs> I don't know what else to say it's awesome no
2: that's pretty cool it's It's good to see that you know there's a return rate, and these kids are getting hooked on it and even if the kid's dad was a hunter, you know I mean I don't know if that sparked an interest in him to um maybe get out and hunt more or maybe he didn't hunt as much as he used to you know but now he's out there and actually willing he's seen the program and how it works and actually willing to help mentor other kids as well as his own mm. that's that's pretty neat anytime anybody can give back like that and be able to you know better the the future generations that's that's a pretty cool thing to do
1: of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on waypoint tv don't miss primo's truth about hunting wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment
3: i don't know if you're familiar with um just throwing this out there this is like i'm already passionate about the subject whether it's mentoring a kid or an adult like i think both need to be happening have need to happen simultaneously honestly but that's a whole nother soapbox but I just came back from an r three conference. Um, if you're not familiar with r three, it's uh, recruit, retain, reactivate. It's about, you know, keeping and recruiting new hunters, right and and the reasoning, the deeper reasons behind that, like not just for license sales, but for conservation, for keeping the sport and the life <laughs> the life alive, right? Um, and there was a lot of really interesting statistics that came up from all the research that's been done and this is a midwest r3 conference so this is referring to like the thir- like 13 midwest states and some of the things i thought were really fascinating uh the stats that i like remember uh is that only 15% of hunters get a license of some kind like hunt every year it's so only 15% of all hunters hunt every single year So, you know, I, I think with how low like hunting numbers are, I think a lot of people understand that, that we're losing about four to 5% of hunters every single year and has been consistently since the eighties. Um, that's, that's wild, right? Like most hunters are not hunting every year, like nothing. They're not squirrel hunting, deer hunting. They're not hunting every year at all. Um, I think that's fascinating and oh my gosh, there are so many things that like that they, they spit facts that are just shocking. Like they're kind of scary, but they're also very interesting. Um, And I think that's why it's so important for programs like this and mentors and people just doing these things. Like we're kind of fighting against some, some big numbers there, you know, like things have, there have to be other things in motion to, to keep the sport and life alive in, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. No, I think it's, it's, it's fascinating and it's definitely an interesting (laughs) dynamic, especially when, when you say only 15% hunts every year. Um, but sometimes it seems like, and, and I know I've read articles about it and like the whole COVID effect and how it has, you know, shopping and stuff like that at grocery stores and seeing bare shelves and it made people want to go out and like learn that lifestyle i'm sure a lot of them realized how hard it was didn't know what they were doing and that would be part of the non-retention um as far as that goes but it's interesting and then i i, I read something else so i can't remember where i saw it but it was basically talking about if we actually retained every single hunter so it's like a a weird balance that if you retained every hunter that you actually activated you would not have the the wildlife model to sustain the amount of hunters that would be there so it's like yeah. it's weird and it's almost a double edged sword because it's like you want to recruit people you want to educate them on it you want to get them out there and we know that we're not going to keep them all and we hope that we keep a lot of them but at the same time you would almost destroy that economic model if you got an over over amount of people hunting it's it's a weird weird thing like that it's
3: yeah and you know and this is just like my opinion um because we talk about that so what what's really cool about these conferences is we get all these different diverse groups of people in a room and we kind of just spit questions and ideas like this right like how many hunters is too many hunters what's the end goal like at what point is this a problem if we get too many hunters right um so that is definitely a conversation. We are so far from that, yeah <laughs> that it's like it's 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 like something that should be addressed because if we ever start seeing that growth, we should you know understand. but this is this is just my feeling. um I think the outdoors is for everybody. I think that if everyone was exposed to hunting in a couple different ways whether they became a hunter or not. Um, I think it would make a huge impact on our world of just like how we take care of mother nature, spending time outside our physical and mental, emotional health, like regardless that they become a hunter. So there's so many more things than just like hunting sales. But, you know, at the end of the day, like the reason that it skyrocketed from COVID is people had more time and people put way too much on their plate. I mean, in- myself included you know um and if hunting isn't something that is a priority to them or the outdoors isn't a priority right away um you know other things are going to take its place and and i just think i think that we can make a big dent in hunting and fishing and outdoor um participation but at the end of the day i mean it's not not everyone is gonna it's not gonna click for everybody you know, like, I think it should, I wish it did, but it's just not, it's just not going to, you know, um, and you know, those COVID numbers, um, they've already gone back down. Like it was, it, it wasn't enough to, um, change anything the next year. Right. So I, you know, it's, it's cool. It's like super interesting. And I would love to see more hunters truly. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get there to that to that, to that that number of words too much. I, I don't know.
2: I don't think we'll ever get there. And I think the partial reason for that is, <laughs> I mean, success rates. Let's look at actual success rates of hunters. And, and if you even take it even further, you just said 15% of people hunt every year. Well, right. or buy a license every year to hunt. Out of that 15%, maybe... I'd say 10% or less of that 15% are successful year after year. (laughs) So the fact that there's such a low success rate in a day and age of instant gratification to where people just want things right now and you can click on your phone and swipe and next thing you know, the same day something's delivered to your door, it doesn't fit that model and that you have to put in effort and work and time to make these things happen, people don't want to do that. And it's sad. It's truly sad that we have such a disconnect with with everything around us and the actual environment and to think that everything goes at its own pace in nature and in reality you can, you know, in the the real world so-called, even though it's not, which really it's almost just a metaverse anymore, but (laughs) that goes – at a different pace than everything else around you and you have to realize that you have to slow yourself down to immerse yourself in it and and actually like my buddy johnny max says participating in nature rather than being a spectator and that's that's yeah. a big difference and and it, i hope people get that experience whether or not it's even hunting if they want to get out and forage or just you know see nature and experience it i think that's a great thing as you mentioned you know being able to um, help with stress relief and just, you know, grounding yourself back and, and, you know, elevating your mood. And I went, I got up this morning and I went for a nice walk and looked for sheds and, and didn't find any and didn't find many mushrooms or anything really. But it was cool because I saw the biggest rub I think I have ever seen. (laughs) And at first I almost thought something was wrong with the tree. I was looking at it and I was like, that tree is just losing its bark. Like nothing scraped it that bad to where it was just, I mean, there were shreds of bark on the ground. And I still didn't believe that it was an actual deer rub until I got up closer and saw another tree, a pile of poop and some hair. And then I was like, (laughs) no way. And it was amazing. And just that experience, I was like, Wow. That's pretty cool. But what's weird is I've still got deer. I didn't find any sheds. I've still got deer on camera that have their antlers. So, I mean, I'm anticipating like finding that and going, okay, you know, like, I mean, a deer that could do that. I'm looking forward to finding, going back and finding those sheds if I can, because he's got to be massive. I mean, just a monster. (laughs) It was almost as tall as me, how high he got up. That's crazy. That's
3: awesome. Yeah. yeah, that is crazy. That's exciting.
2: <clears throat> so with that being said, and I said I didn't find any mushrooms, I know you're doing something cool at your other job that you're doing right now. It's kind of a side job. You told me you're working at a farm. Can you kind of mm-hmm. go talk about that? Because it's pretty neat. I always love it when people talk about different stuff and learning new things, right? So what are you doing
3: there? yeah. Um, so I should preface that I have no farming. I, you know, up until this point, I was killing succulents. Okay. So like I've been, (laughs) I don't have any, I don't have any farming gardening experience leading up to my part-time job, which I work on an organic farm. I am the assistant farmhand there. (laughs) Why they let me do that. I don't know, but, um, when I, I was in corporate America for years as my career. And when the you know, the full-time opportunity that we talked about uh with outdoor mentors, when that came up, it was initially a part-time job to kind of like prove myself, prove that this 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 is an important, important work. And I went full-time really fast, which was really awesome and exciting. But I took a I took a pay cut, took a big risk to to join outdoor mentors and do this job that I was, you know, I couldn't believe it's real. Like I love my job. Um, but the risk was worth it, but I had to supplement my income somehow and just going forward and like who I want to be, what my goals are. You know, I would like to have a small homestead of my own in the, you know, in 10 years or less, I'd like to have some acres, garden, gardens, flowers, vegetables, animals, and you know, but I don't come from that background. I I don't um, have anyone really teaching me that, uh, like what the heck? So I just Googled. (laughs) farmhand and found this farm that was like 20 minutes away from where I lived. And like in the description, it was basically like no experience required. We just want someone who's passionate about learning and we will teach you everything. I was like, deal. And um, I mean, this group of people is so incredible to work with, but currently uh, my current project is I'm working on growing microgreens inside until it's the planting uh, time which we'll be doing we'll be planting in our um, outside uh, tunnels <clears throat> this next week when the weather hopefully warms up a little bit and I'm also working on inoculating um, logs to grow shiitake and oyster mushrooms on them I didn't even know that was a thing until a few months ago the farm hand that is kind of teaching me everything he is incredible he is definitely like the fun guy I master and like reads about it, studies it, um, and we're kind of learning together. But it's really neat to be a part of. And he uh, is sometimes he just leaves me like, here's what you're gonna work on, YouTube it, figure it out out, and he just leaves me at the farm to figure it out. So that's what I've been doing, and I'm working on growing shiitake and oyster mushrooms on logs in yeah inside. That's I really pretty in cool. I bar. actually
2: just started doing that myself and i inoculated my first logs a couple months ago and then it, we had an extreme cold snap to where they needed like a month at 40 degrees so they could actually start taking over the log <clears throat> and i was like crap so i actually brought them all inside my garage and stacked them in my garage so they'd get enough time to like propagate the log and and be able to yeah. thrive so it's pretty cool to know i don't really know anything about it but knowing that, you know, other people are doing it and it's going to work and it's going to be pretty neat to have so many mushrooms. Actually, I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with all of them that I did, but (laughs) who cares? Cause I'll figure that's a good problem to have. Um, but it's neat to learn those different things. And so are you guys like, um, taking your own cultures and stuff like that and, and putting it in sawdust to get the, the mycelium to start and grow or what? how far do you guys do it? Or do you guys buy yeah. inoculated sawdust?
3: So we, we purchased, I, I think we're going to be trying in different ways as we go, because the really cool thing about the farm, like I work at is pretty. So the farm hand that I am under at the farm, um, he comes from like kind of a farming and homesteading background. So he, he really is like the experienced person on the farm. Um, Everyone else is kind of new. We're all kind of new in this together, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. So we're experimenting a lot and changing what we do a lot. Um, so currently, we 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 pre-purchased it. Um, so there there are logs that we have out on like our back, like seven acres. Um, we have them sitting out specifically. They're specific, you know, uh, wood for shiitake versus oyster mushrooms. Those are ours but then we actually, we purchased the sawdust mixture. Um, and that's what we're doing currently, but I don't think that's what we're always going to be doing. Like we're going to be trying some new things here soon too.
2: That's cool. That's pretty cool. So you guys have plans for like growing other types of mushrooms besides that, like wine caps yeah, or anything I think like so. that?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, then the farmhand I work with, he's definitely the mastermind behind that. And a lot of it, is gonna be based on our need from our, so we have at the barn, um, which is kind of like our event space that is rented out for weddings and farm to table events. And um, we have like a brick oven, like pizza uh, maker and stuff that the public comes there for events and this farm to table experience. Um, and we have incredible cooks that work on the farm. So based on whatever they want, whatever they want to experiment, experiment with, or food that they want to try, they kind of help lead us in that direction. So whatever they're thinking, we'll start making happen. So, um, it starts with like the cooks and it works its way down to me, like figure this out. Um, (laughs) so I don't know, I know we will, and they do so many unique things with it. Like these, these chefs are incredible. Like I tried this, um, they made it into, uh, an, a powder. Um, they did a uh, chicken of the woods and they made it into like a powder and we put it on, um, like our pizzas and like different food. And it's incredible. I've never tasted anything like it, but, but I, I wish I had this like in my seasoning cabinet. Like it's, yeah. it's so good. Um, so they do some really neat stuff.
2: So, uh, are you guys actually growing the chicken of the woods or is that like, something you guys foraged
3: um actually uh I foraged a bunch and so did um the farm manager
2: that's cool so let's kind of talk about that then yeah how has your foraging <laughs> game uh improved then from like what was it like two years ago probably right right around the time you started the podcast and I started mine yeah um I know you were kind of on a foraging journey as well how has that evolved and uh where has it taken you
3: yeah, um, I'm so excited with like where it's going soon. Um, so between, between the farm and some awesome people I've met who are teaching me a lot of cool things about foraging um, and some books that I'm going to be reading and all that, uh, I've, I'm going to be learning a lot more this year. Um, I'm taking some foraging kind of one-on-one classes also. Uh, so I'm really pumped <laughs> about that. Um, but gosh, it. so when you and I like connected a couple of years ago, I know you've probably felt this, like I would share about, oh, I found a puffball. Oh, I found some golden oysters, you know, and I would, I would share that on my page. Well, I'm familiar with those mushrooms at the time. You know, those were the ones that I'm like, I can look at that and I know what that is. Just from time in the woods, you know. Um not kind of self-taught really. But because I shared it, so many people will ask me and send me pictures of mushrooms and they'll be like what is this? And I'm like, ah, like you know sometimes I'm like I I don't know. I don't know what that is. But I want to be as helpful as I can and um you know, I'll I'll tell people like if I don't know, like I don't rec- you know, I won't make a recommendation cuz I don't want to poison somebody. Um or make them sick, but I I got a lot of enjoyment out of like figuring that stuff out with other people. So I downloaded some different apps, like mushroom identification apps, started doing a lot of research. Um, I squirrel hunted more the last two years than I've ever squirrel hunted in my, my, my life and squirrel hunting time is like a great time to forage. Like most of the time I come back with mushrooms, not a squirrel. Um, (laughs) And, and and when I come back with a squirrel and a mushroom, that's like a win. Like I I'm obsessed with that. That was, that's so much fun to me. And so it's just time in the woods and constantly educating myself. Um, when I started at the farm, I, I, I knew that they were experimenting with different mushrooms and stuff and the chefs were, and I'm like, Hey, if I, if I find a bunch, like, do you guys want them? They're like, yeah, absolutely. And so it was just, became really fun for me to like, start foraging for other people, not even myself, if that makes sense. Like it was really rewarding to come to work or go to other people and be like, look what I have, you know, I have this bundle for you. Like that was really fun for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I think I answered the question, but I I can identify a lot more than I could two years ago. That's for sure. And it's just time in the woods. I mean, that's.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's what I find, too, is the more time you spend in the woods, the more stuff you discover. One of the things I found, especially for me, is like, I know it, but I doubt myself. So I'm like, I know what that is. I can't think of what it is, though. You know, and I'm like, ah, oh, just leave it, you know, and walk away from it. And then I get home and I flip through a book and I'm like, Oh, I knew I knew what that was. But it's just like there's that innate fear and self doubt kind of instilled in you. And I don't even know how it happened. Like, how did we get away from that to where you don't realize or know any of those things anymore when it used to be common yeah. knowledge? It's kind of crazy. But hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, as as time goes on, I'll be more confident in myself and be able to uh to identify more.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think mushrooms were is where I started. And I think for some people, people like different podcasts I listen to, I've heard the opposite, like don't start with mushrooms, start with like other things. But mushrooms is really what I started with, you know, like the morale, like morels. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's like the gateway drug into <laughs> Um And then then you have oysters and then golden oysters and then chicken of the woods and you have that prepared for you one time and you're like, okay, this, this might even be better than morels. Um, And then it just kind of went from there. Like I am on a quest for pawpaws and like from pawpaw tree. Do you know what a pawpaw is? Yeah.
2: Have you found any yet? It's the only native North Um, American tropical
1: fruit. Yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, I know where some are. By the time I knew that they were there, the deer had already gotten to them all. Um, But I know where some are due to some awesome friends who don't mind sharing that with me, but I'm not going to share it on here.
2: (laughs) That's awesome because I have been on a quest as well. And I've often told people, I'm like, I think I'm just going to purchase and propagate a whole bunch of pawpaw seeds and just be like the Johnny Appleseed of pawpaws because I can't find any. And it makes me so mad that (laughs) <clears throat> i'm just gonna go on like a gorilla planting spree and plant them everywhere everywhere that they're not yes. <laughs> so yeah oh i don't gosh, know if that'll so happen funny. but that would be really cool to do yeah
3: <laughs> yeah yes i that is like my next thing and then also persimmons like there are persimmons where this this paw pottery is also um and so just like expanding out towards that and then a Kind of like unofficial new mentor of mine. Um, his name is Jeff. He is a professional, like commercial trapper. Um, I took one of his classes and then just befriended him because he just he talks my language, man. Like he's interested in all these different things. And I was just picking his brain. Um, and he suggested that I I get the book The Herbalist, which um is an old book. It's kind of like the OG of um kind of like some plant id stuff uh so i'm i'm getting that and i'm going to read and like study that but i know um that's going to be kind of like that's next on my list to complete and to just study more and just understand um some identification stuff uses for these things like that's really important to me like other ways to use mushrooms and fruit and roots and all of that um i think that stuff is fascinating like as much as i can learn in my life, my time here on earth. Like I'm going to try to do. Um, and I don't know, it gets me all jacked up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. So like, have you made any like mushroom tinctures or anything like that? Or, or is that kind of on the list of stuff to do?
3: Mushroom what? Tinctures. I haven't.
2: I just made my first ones not that long ago. And then somebody's like, oh, you're supposed to bottle them on a full moon because it does something. I'm like, well, I don't know about all that, but what I do know is I did bottle it and uh, I put them in my tea and stuff like that. But, it, you know, I'm slowly progressing into the other stuff and uses for medicinal uses and stuff like that as well. So that's cool to see, you know, like-minded people around knowing these cool things and uh, learning. And- well,
3: it's, I mean, isn't it like if you think about just like humans existing, like only the last couple hundred years – is this like bizarre to hear about? you know what I mean? like this mm-hmm. was like life like it we're such a like how we live now is such a small blip and compared to like the last tens of thousands of years of how humans lived, whether you're talking about foraging or medicinal uses for plants and mushrooms or hunting you know it's it's like crazy to think about like this way that we live now as a human race in you know in developed i guess countries, I suppose. Is um, it, it's that's bizarre. The other is. stuff isn't really bizarre. It is, know? although
2: people think it, it is bizarre, which is weird that, it, the, like I said kind of earlier, is like the whole dynamic has shifted. And I find it strange that it's shifted that way. And then so easily has it instilled that innate fear in everybody that they're just,
1: mm-hmm.
2: oh no, you can't do that. You can't eat that. You're going to poison yourself. That's what most people say is you're going to poison yeah. yourself. Oh, I don't want to eat that. And it's like, man, I don't think you understand. There's food all around us, and we need to be able to learn it and find it. And who knows? Maybe one day you'll need that. Um, Yeah. But anyway. Absolutely. Steph, (laughs) it's been awesome talking to you. Um, I think this is probably a good jump-off point here. It's uh, cool to catch up with you and, like, see what you're learning and how much has kind of evolved and changed from – from your past, almost past life, we could say, compared to where you're at now, and it's pretty cool. So, you want to tell everybody where they can find you and your podcast, and if they want to get involved with uh, what you're doing in Iowa with the mentorship and everything?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, I'm pretty easy to find. Sometimes, I think I might be a little bit too easy to find. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So, if you go on Instagram, my name is Steph Lane, S T E P H L A N E, or at Wild and Route, which is Wild E N R O U T E on Instagram. Or my, my website, my podcast, my events that I do personally are Woods and Waters uh, And then Outdoor Mentors.org is how you would find me on Outdoor Mentors. All my contact information is on there. So whether Instagram, my personal website or outdoormentors.org, I am easy to find. Awesome. You'll see a picture of me and all my contact information.
2: That's cool. Thanks for coming on, Steph.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great.
1: Anglers search for the one they call King, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver Saturday, May 18th, from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV. Oh, that's awesome! Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.